Father in heaven, be with us as uh, we open your word today. Speak to us. Reveal to us Jesus in the fullness of his reality. Because that's what this passage is about. Help us see it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to finish out John chapter 8 today. We've had a little, uh, a few weeks where we've been away from this. But we're going to finish up in John chapter 8 and really... Uh, we've had quite a few messages just out of this one chapter. One was by Mark Johnson uh, when he, the first part of the chapter, uh, that, that we typically call the woman taken in adultery, but maybe that's a bit of a biased way to tell that story. But nonetheless, the story of the woman that was brought before Jesus uh, with the expectation that Jesus would condemn her. But that's not what he did in that event, and Mark did a great job with that passage. And then we went on, and and Jesus begins this extended discussion with the people around him. And one of the things that comes out clearly in that discussion is just the confusion. Remember when we started talking about the book of John all the way back at the beginning, one of the the key crises that, that this book is dealing with is who is Jesus? Who is this guy that's come into the world? And John introduces his book by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and and he talks about the light came into the world, and the light was the life of men, and but he came to his own, but his own did not recognize him. They did not receive him. So the great challenge of understanding who Jesus is in the reality of this world, and there was so much confusion, and we, we talked about that, and And then we talked on another Sabbath about a comment that Jesus makes in verses 31 and 32 of John 8. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We talked a little bit about truth, and the difference between what Jesus does for us to save us and the role that truth plays in our life. Sometimes we get confused. And we start to think that truth saves us. But truth doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. Truth sets us free. So that's an important distinction. And it's one we need to understand. That it's faith in Jesus that brings salvation. But it's walking in truth that brings freedom. So if you want both salvation and freedom, they go hand in hand. But don't get them in the wrong order. Don't start thinking that truth saves you because you're putting confidence in the wrong place. And it's not a stable foundation. Only Jesus is a stable foundation. Truth is built around that. So we spent time on that and we talked about that. But now now we're at the very close of this rather remarkable interaction in this chapter. And we're really getting down to to a real moment of crisis. So I want to start here in verse 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin, Jesus says? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Here's another concept we've talked about. Do you remember? He who has an ear... Let him hear. The notion being that if you are truly in your heart committed to following after Jesus, 
You will be able to recognize truth when it's spoken. But if you are not fully yielded in your heart, then truth can be spoken to you and you can't hear it. Because you have a different master. Now, there's a most remarkable ending that's going to take place now in these next few verses. But here's the problem. In order to truly appreciate and understand what's just about to happen in this interaction with Jesus, we can't start here. Because we have to have context. And this is an important point to remember in the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus did not just appear out of nothing. No, God had been revealing things for years and years and years, hundreds of years, dare we even say thousands of years, God had been revealing truth. But it all comes together in Jesus. But part of fully understanding that is to understand what's come before. So, in order to appreciate what we're about to read in the book of John, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 15. Now, if you have a Bible with you or you have a device there with you or something like that and you want to get it out and follow along, you can do that. Uh, one of the things we're uh, trying to figure out the balance on is having the right amount of light in here for you to uh, be able to read and, and all those things. So, so if you don't have enough, you can uh, make a comment on that and we'll, we'll try to figure out how to get all the balances right between contemporary worship style and... Bible reading, and it's, it's a lot harder than you would think. You'd think we'd just show up and do this, but no, it's, it's tricky. All right, so Genesis chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram, we're still talking about Abram here. He's going to become Abraham, but he hasn't yet. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now, if that's all the scripture you had and you had a heart that was capable of faith, that should be enough to sustain you if the God of heaven promises to be your shield and your very great reward. And understand, Abram didn't have scripture. We forget that about this story, don't we? This is Abram interacting with God and this is the word of the Lord to him. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now there's a whole bunch in this story, but uh, just, just one piece of that. It's been kind of a smoky, hazy summer. So maybe the night sky hasn't been as beautiful as it is sometimes. But, but one of the things that was just a powerful impact on Alicia and I when we were first visiting out here when my sister and, and brother-in-law just had gotten their place up in Leadville was to go out in the evening 
well, night really, not evening, but night, and look up at all the stars. It's an overwhelming experience. And I hope you find time to do it uh, occasionally, just to go out and look at the magnificence of the sky. And this is what God said to Abram. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. So the promise here is that Abram is going to become a father of a people too numerous to count. Now I want you to jump ahead to verse 12 because we have to pick up a piece of this that will be relevant in a second that will take us all the way back to where we started in the book of John. But you got to get this piece. Genesis 15 verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. So the promise to Abram is, I will make your descendants like the stars of the heaven. There will be a period of time when your descendants will suffer in slavery. But I will bring them out with a mighty hand. You yourself will not see this. You will die at an old age. All right. Now let's go over to chapter 17 of Genesis. Stay here in this book. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, anybody 99 here today? No? All right. Not yet. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. Okay, so this is actually a a broadening of what Abram had understood so far. He had understood that he would be the father of many people, but his natural assumption was all of these people are going to be my descendants. But God says, you will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So this is an expansion. And with this expansion of the, prof- of the promise comes a name change. Abram to Abraham. And the promise is, it's not just your descendants. You're going to be the father of many nations. Now, did he understand this in the fullness? I don't think so. But do you remember what John the Baptist says 
to the Pharisees who come to him and ask him why he's baptizing? He says, I tell you, God can raise up sons for Abraham from these stones. And do you remember how when Jesus comes and the work he does, suddenly it is discovered that the saving grace of Jesus isn't just for the literal descendants of Abraham, but that anyone who believes will be reckoned a child of God and thus a child of Abraham. And so you all, most of you who are not Jewish, have been included as sons and daughters of Abraham by faith. Let's go on. Verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. So again, part of the miracle of all of this is that Abraham and Sarah are too old for children. Yet, God in his goodness, yes, in the short run gave Isaac. But in the long run, gave all of us who put our faith in God. So so we're creating context here. Because you've got to see this bigger picture to appreciate what's about to happen in this conversation with Jesus. One more spot we've got to look. And that's Genesis chapter 22, verse 10. Now what's going on here? is Abraham has taken that son of promise, Isaac, and taken him up on the mountain because he's been directed to give him as a sacrifice. And we pick up the story in verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. All right, understand the context. Abraham is trying to understand what it takes to offer a sacrifice sufficient to appease God. But God says to him, that's not what it's about. Because I will make provision for you. You do not have to live your life trying to appease me so that I will not destroy you because I want to save you. Therefore, I will make provision for you because you cannot make sufficient provision for yourself. And the saying becomes, 
On the mountain, the Lord will provide. All right, hang on to that. We got to go forward one book. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 1. And now we're going to talk about someone else. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. On the mountain, the Lord will provide. Do you remember the saying? There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. It's interesting. Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. Have you ever heard God call your name? I'll bet he's done it. Were you listening? You see, God calls his people. He calls their name. He knows their name. And he calls them by name. Moses said, here I am. That's exactly what Abraham said. So I want to suggest to you, if you ever hear God call you, say, here I am. Apparently it works. Go with that. Here I am. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, one of the things to take from that is the continuance of God with his people. And when he comes to you, he has that same message because the same God that calls your name is the God that called Abraham's name, called Isaac's name, called Jacob's name, called Moses' name, all the way down. This is your family. This is your lineage of faith. You are part of this. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, verse 7, I have, in, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So everything has happened the way God told Abraham it would, hasn't it? He said, I will increase you. Your family will be for a season slaves in another land, but I will bring them out. And now here is God bringing them out. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. 
Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord. Now, when you see that in your Old Testament where it says the Lord, and if you see L-O-R-D, all capital letters, but the last three letters are smaller capitals, is that how it is in your Bible if you're looking at it there? What's actually happening here is this is the name of God. Now, in older versions, it used to be written Jehovah there. Recently, probably a closer pronunciation is something like Yahweh. But I'm actually hopeful we don't actually know how to say it. Because I think it's too holy for us to say. And that's the reason it appears that way when you read through. But God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now it's very interesting what God has done here. He said, I am has sent you. And then he says his name, Yahweh. Now in English, it's a little funny. But in Hebrew, I am is Eyah. And Yahweh. Eya, I am. Yahweh is the name of God. Who has sent you? Eya, the one who is. What is his name? Yahweh. It's a powerful moment. And Moses is overwhelmed in this moment. So now we have the context we need. Now let's go back to John chapter 8, and let's see how in this context, what is about to transpire, let's see how it sounds, now that we have the Abraham context and the Moses context. Now understand, the Moses context is all about deliverance. The Abraham context is all about the people of God, the family of God. So let's take that context now, and let's start again in verse 46. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. You see, God's been up there yelling all their names. Abraham, Moses, calling all of these Pharisees, calling their names, but they can't hear him. Because they don't belong to him. Verse 48. The Jews answered Jesus, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Okay, it's getting a little ugly now. Starting to call names. Now there's an interesting point here. If you'll remember throughout this chapter of chapter 8, there's this continuing subtext of the of the potential illegitimacy of Jesus' background. 
It comes out in multiple places in the chapter where they're challenging him, where is your father? And the suggestion now is, your father is probably a Samaritan. Now to them, that was as ugly a thing as they thought they could come up with to say. And on top of it, they add that Jesus is also demon-possessed. Now the interesting thing about this is Jesus doesn't even bother to address the thing about Samaritans because he doesn't seem to have the hostility towards them that the Jews do. But he will not stand for the work of the Holy Spirit to be attributed to demons. Listen to what he says, verse 49. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. He can live with being called a Samaritan, but he will not allow the glory of the working of the Holy Spirit to be attributed to demons. In fact, if you go to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story told in there where Jesus says, all the blasphemies against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Call me anything you want. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What does that mean? What Jesus is saying is, call me anything you want, but do not attribute the work of God to the enemy of God. And this is a very frightful warning for those of us that are sometimes wise in our own eyes and pretty sure that what someone else is doing can't be right because we're tempted to attribute to them, oh, well, that's just demons at work. Oh, be careful. Be careful with that. Are you in control of God? Can God only work where you say God can work? Do we only determine orthodoxy by the name of the company on the spine of the book? Is the Bible holy and good because it was written by holy and good men? Or is it holy and good because it was inspired by God? See, let's not get confused as to where righteousness lies. It's not with us, it's with God. And if he wants to work through somebody you think God could never work through, you better not attribute that to the devil. Be humble and be careful because we do not understand everything about what God is doing. Well, let's go on, verse 50. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Oh, they're so close to asking the right question, aren't they? The right question isn't, who does Jesus think he is? The right question is, who do I think Jesus is? 
They were close. But because they had already decided in their mind who Jesus wasn't, the only question they could ask is, who do you think you are? This is actually a very interesting thing that they say. And it will get fleshed out later on in the book of Hebrews. They're saying, are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than all the prophets who died? There's a very fascinating uh, statement that happens in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. And this is the chapter all about the people of faith throughout the Bible. And interestingly, this little insertion happens between the description of Abraham and the description of Moses. And this is what you get, verse 13. All these people, referring to Abraham and the ones he's going to talk about, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers in the land. So what was the reality for all the faithful ones? They believed to the day of their death and by faith saw the deliverance that was to come. They did not see it in their day, but by faith they saw the day to come. All right, let's go back. John chapter 8. And let's pick it up again in verse 54. Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Now look at this, verse 56. And think about what we just read in Hebrews 11. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You see, Abraham, by the eyes of faith, was able to see the day of deliverance. Now, did he understand everything about it? No, none of them did. John the Baptist didn't even understand everything about it. The disciples didn't understand everything about it until later. This is how blessed you are. You start with an understanding beyond what even Abraham knew. He saw by faith. But you can read the story right here. Jesus says to them, you think you know the God you're worshiping, but your rejection of him proves you, your rejection of me proves you don't know him at all. So we were working yesterday at uh, my brother-in-law's house and, uh, and, and we were moving some stones around. Aaron and I were moving some rocks around and, uh, and uh, I don't know, this thought occurred to me as we were doing this. Uh, you know that saying, uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime, you know that one. So we're moving these stones around, and, and, and the thought occurred to me, give a man a stone and you keep him busy for an hour, teach a man to stone and you have the makings of a new religion, right? We don't get it sometimes, do we? You see, we think... We know everything. We think we know God. 
But he's saying, you guys who want to stone me don't know God. You see why humility is so important in all of this? Your father Abraham, verse 66, rejoiced at the 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, 57. And, and that is, of course, either one of the most profound things ever said or one of the craziest things ever said. But verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you. And when you see very truly in your Bible, that means it's amen is the word in Greek there. What it means is what's coming up is absolutely true. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, put that in the context of everything we talked about in that Old Testament encounter where God comes and speaks to Abram and then God changes his name to Abraham and then he comes to Moses and he says, if they ask who I am, who sent me, what do I say? He said, say I am has sent you. Yahweh, Eyah, Yahweh. Now if you read this in Greek, you, you don't read the Hebrew there. What it says is, ego emi. Now, there's an interesting thing about Greek. The verbs in Greek have an implied subject. So when you're going to use a pronoun for a subject, you don't usually write it. You just go ahead and write the verb. So if you wanted to say, I am, you would say, emi, and you wouldn't put anything in front of it. But ego means I, and ami means I am. So if it's ever written ego, ami, it is hyperemphasis on identity. There's no accidental interpretation here. Jesus is claiming to be the presence in the burning bush, as well as the voice that spoke to Abraham. Now, is that bold? Is that a bold thing to say to Jewish leaders who get the context? See, we just blow by that. We don't understand it. Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. Now, okay, let me confess this to you. I don't understand everything about the Trinity. And what God's told me so far is, yeah, it's a little beyond you. You're not going to figure it out. So I don't understand exactly Father, Son. Is Father Yahweh? Wait, Jesus is Yahweh. Sometimes it, I don't know. But I do know that right here Jesus is claiming to be this. Verse 59 At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Wow, what a moment. What do you think the disciples did? What is he saying? 
And then they couldn't find him either because he's gone. What just happened here? All right, what about you? What do you believe about Jesus? And what difference does it make in your life? You remember at the end of this book, John will say, all these things have been written that you might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name. John chapter 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Mostly Jesus spent his time going around not revealing the fullness of who he was. But in this moment, the light of Jesus shines through. There's only a few times when it happens. But in this moment, the full reality of the identity of Jesus shines through. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The I Am. The Word who was from the beginning. The Creator. The One in whom is life. The truest revelation of the Father. The Teacher of truth and righteousness. The One that's worthy of all your honor and glory and praise. You know, instead of that, let's... Let's just go over here to Revelation for a second. Revelation chapter 5. You see there's a scene that takes place in heaven. There's a lamb that appears looking as though it's been slain. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he approaches the ancient of days. The father who is on the throne. And he takes from his hand a scroll. And in the moment he does this. Verse 9 says, and they sang a new song. Why? Because deliverance had come, because the Lamb of God had overcome, because that thing that Abraham looked forward to see had taken place through Jesus. And now he is ascended, risen again, and he's in heaven. And verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's us. The sons and daughters of Abraham that were not born directly of his line because of Jesus were now brought in as the sons and daughters of God. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power 
forever and ever. What place does this Jesus have in your life? Just kind of a, eh, neutral? You're not getting it. The host of heaven falls on their face before him. Not just because of his original greatness, but because of the salvation he has worked for you. Making you a child of God. What place does he have in your life? Are you giving him the praise and the honor he deserves? Is he Lord of your life? John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. Whoops, that's Acts. John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews, let's change that. To the believers who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Do you want to be free? See, Jesus came to deliver, to deliver us from sin and death. You see, right now, if we're not walking with Jesus, we're slaves to sin and death. But if we have accepted him, we are no longer slaves. The I am has come, not just deliverance from Egypt, Deliverance from sin and death. You are known by Jesus. He calls your name. He calls your name. You are called by Jesus. And you are born again to be a child of God. The band's going to come back up now. And they're going to lead us in a song that's going to take these ideas and just seal them in your mind. And I want you, while we hear this and sing this and participate in this, to really open your heart and let this song be truth about you. The great I am, the deliverance has come. And he has come to live in you. And he has come to deliver you. I don't know what condition you came in this day, the condition of your heart. I don't know if there's a shadow over your heart, if you're dealing with heartache and loss, if there's, if there's sorrow in your life. Maybe you came in rejoicing. I don't know. But if anyone came in today not sure they know who Jesus is or what Jesus has done, not appreciating him or not allowing him to be Lord in their life, then when this happens and the Holy Spirit works and calls upon your heart, don't miss this chance. How long do you want to be a slave? What do you think this world has to offer you? Jesus offers forgiveness of sin, transformed living, and eternal life.
There's no better offer. Don't be a slave anymore. I am his confidence.